Welcome to Match of the Year podcast. I'm your host, Christopher J. Garcia. And doing something a little different today, we're talking about the wrestler of 2018. And when it comes down to it, there are four names I considered. They are, in order, Kenny Omega, Tatsuchiko Okada, Becky Lynch, and the person I decided on, Tommaso Ciampa. Ciampa had an amazing year and has been somewhat overlooked, but not widely so, I don't think. His run as NXT champion has been good. He's had amazing matches. As far as I'm concerned, the second best match of the year was that first match against Gargano, which I added a five and a half star match at least, because I think it did more than any other match to sort of get over this idea of a serious 21st century feud. When you had this idea of an actual blood feud going on, and the moment that does it for me, the best part of storytelling in that match, is when Chump is just sitting there and Gargano is considering what he's going to do. It's powerful storytelling. It's the best storytelling. Because Gargano has an amazing presence, both as an underdog and as an athlete. Every time you're watching his match, you're thinking he's an athlete. Not a wrestler, per se. Even though he's Johnny Wrestling. But Ciampa. Ciampa, at that point, has a look on his face that is somewhere between exhaustion and self-contempt. He seems to be screaming that he's down on himself for having gotten to this point where he can't win. It's brilliant. And how he comes out as the heel without the music, just his bearing, his presence, and his social media. Which is the only reason why, really, Becky Lynch is on the list at all. She has turned wrestling upside down this year because she brought back the Austin sensation, the obvious heel who is actually a face to everyone except for the bookers. She's so good at it, and her social media work is savage, and I just adore what she's doing. She's had some great matches, arguably the two best women's matches in the history of the main roster, the one at TLC and the one at Survivor Series. Both phenomenal. And I think next year, one, I think she's going to headline WrestleMania. I think Becky Ronda could headline WrestleMania, and frankly should. Flip side, she wasn't there all year. She wasn't at that position all year. But she used social media so greatly, even when she wasn't available to work, she killed it. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't her at Survivor Series, because that's when she was hurt by Nia Jax. My thought on Okada and Omega is sort of different. One, they had the match of the year, arguably one of the greatest matches of all time. Super intricate storytelling, brilliant match. But as years go, neither one of them had the kind of dominant year, in ring and out, that felt like it deserved wrestler of the year as much, which seems odd. Kenny Omega is great in everything. Everything he does is amazing. But his sort of ups and downs throughout the year... It felt like he didn't have the momentum that he had in 2016 and 2017. It was great, but it just wasn't there. Okada, same thing. At the end of the year, he lost. after he lost the belt, he lost a lot of his momentum, it felt. Still had some great matches. And I think the getting over Jay White at the Tokyo Dome was magnificently done. And I can't argue that the brilliant, absolutely brilliant match with Tanahashi at the Tokyo Dome for Omega was was so good, but at the same time, it didn't feel like Omega was the player there. It's a great match, and this comes from a guy who really doesn't like uh, Tanahashi, 
but he was really good at how he did it. But there's so much more here to look at when you look at Okada. Yeah, he fell sort of from the rank. He was, I would argue, his reign as IWGP champion, this last one, was the greatest in the history of that belt. I have been paying attention to the IWGP title since about 1989. So, yes, I know there are others, but there's no question, no question whatsoever that when Okada lost the belt, they downshifted on him and upshifted on Tanahashi, which I both understand and hate. It's the same thing they did with Bret Hart. Uh, the same thing they did with even Shawn Michaels to a degree on his second run. I just, I think there was way more to Okada than to Tanahashi. And I think Okada will, when he gets a belt back, and it's obvious he will. And I kind of think that we'll get the Tanahashi-Okada rematch at some point. The Omega-Tanahashi rematch will happen too, but it's less important, honestly. Particularly since Omega is going. Uh, all indications are that he's going to AEW, which is fine. It's kind of where he belongs with the guys, and if it's going to make any run in the U.S., that's the one that needs to happen. But I don't think it will be the time for Okada for at least another year. And it makes sense. I would not want, I would not be one ounce surprised if he wins the IWGP title after winning G1 this year. I would not be surprised to see Jay White win the IWGP title after winning the G1 this year. I would not be surprised if Okada and White got a nice long Omega Okada feud out of the IWGP title in 2020. But, and I think it's been positioned as this is Tanahashi's last big run. I don't think Tanahashi had a great year. I think winning the G1, getting his shot and all that was great storytelling. I don't think it was an amazing deal. It just didn't feel, it felt flat to me. And part of that is obviously I just can't stand Tanahashi. He bores me most of the time. His matches are good, but I just don't get it. I understand he's a legend, which is fine. We need legend. And when you have a legend like Tanahashi or even Suzuki, you have to use them and you have to use them smart. And they do sometimes. And this one I think showed. Where do all these folks stand for next year? Omega is likely to have a lighter year next year than this, this previous year. And I think the same could be said for, I think the same could be said for a lot of guys. Uh, probably no one so much as, well, I think there are probably a couple of guys who could have a lighter year, but still be huge players. The two that I think are going to be really important out of these is Ciampa, who is obviously heading towards a major showdown somewhere where he drops the belt, but he's still the best heel in the business right now. And it feels like the wrong time to take the belt off of it. Of course, the people that a lot of folks say should have the NXT title aren't exactly the best choices in my eyes. There are lots of folks who say Alistair Black should have it, which makes sense. He's held the belt before and he's super solid. I've heard people say Velveteen Dream, which, okay, the Dream is great. And they had a really good match. Personally, I think Ricochet's the man and should have the belt. And I really think that a Ciampa-Ricochet feud could really produce amazing results. The person who I think is going to take the belt, or at least have a good long shot at it, is Adam Cole. And I think he's 
he's got all the tools to be a huge star and should be. If the idea of the NXT for life is there, actually, I kind of think it should be Ciampa. Build the brand around a heel champion and arguably the first 21st century heel champion who really gets it, who understands how to, how to be a heel now and who's just so great at everything. That said, I think the one to watch out for, of course, is Becky Lynch. And we're going to get a Lynch-Ronda Rousey feud that is going to run for, I would say, a year. And it could be that they'll do what they did with uh, Austin and Hart in the match and feud that redefined what the WWE would go at that point, WWF would be. Because as great as those two are, and they were great in everything, what we never got was that, or what we didn't see at that point, is how their match is built. So they got the big match at Survivor Series, which is a wonderful match. Often overlooked, I think, is their their match at Survivor Series 1995? 95 or 96? I can never remember. And then you had the WrestleMania match that changed everything and the double turn and so much greatness. That said, if we get that from Becky and Ronda, perfect. Makes me happy. Because I think Becky deserves every ounce that she can get. She's so good at everything. She's one of the best wrestlers the women's division has. She's a phenomenal interview. She's probably the best woman talker out there right now. But the one thing she hasn't gotten yet is the big stage moment. And no woman has really to carry, to a degree, I guess, flair. But someone, some woman needs to get their big moment to catapult the entire division into the next level. That's why they brought in Ronda. And I don't think, I think really, if you look at it deep, they didn't bring in Ronda necessarily for her to have the big woman's moment. I think they brought her in to enable the big woman's moment to happen with her there. Thus, the Becky Lynch thing. Use Ronda to get over Becky. Brilliant. And if at WrestleMania Ronda wins, that's fine. They could, there's a lot of ways to have Ronda Rousey win that match and still elevate Becky. But nothing will elevate the standing of women in wrestling as much as just simply headlining WrestleMania. Okada and Omega, we don't know. I've talked about them, of course. I think Tanahashi will probably be in the running for Wrestler of the Year unless he gets injured, which is highly possible because as much as I dislike him, he works super hard and he is sadly winding down his career. Here's where it gets super interesting. What about the other Japanese promotion? Because there are. There is not just New Japan. One of my favorite wrestlers in the world right now, super overlooked, and I think it's a shame, is Kento Miyahara, who has all the tools you need to be a just absolute superstar. He's incredibly talented, like one of the I would say one of the five best in the world right now. He's a wonderful worker, super smart, probably the best seller I've ever seen when it comes to getting that idea that a match is based around selling. And he's been largely ignored because he isn't with New Japan. And the All Japan and Noah and all those are smaller groups. That said, I sincerely doubt he'll be the big, uh, he'll be a big player, but if they bring him to G1, you know, bring that outsider guy to G1, work, start working with New Japan again, and they should. That could be huge and could elevate him massively. 
I would hope they do. But there are others. I think one of the other folks who could have a gigantic year is, of course, AJ Styles. I think Brian Danielson coming back was a great thing. And I refuse to call him Daniel Bryan now. I am back to the Brian Danielson argument. But still, the two of them have worked together brilliantly, and I'm hoping to see more. Not only from them, but of them in different areas. So I hope next year is as great, or this year is as great as the year before, as 2018. But I don't think we'll see another seven-star match. And I think the reason for that isn't just that, you know, you're not going to have Omega and Okada wrestling one another, probably. But I think it's because it's the same reason why Flair's steamboat, when they were separated, they didn't have those levels of matches with other guys. It was the peak. You know, you still had Flair doing amazing stuff. You still had Steamboat doing some great stuff. You know, it's the same reason why in 2004, you didn't have Misawa having five-star matches. You didn't have Kobashi necessarily having five-star matches after having arguably the greatest match of all time. So it's an interesting point. I think we're at a point where I'm not saying match quality will go down. In fact, match quality might go up overall. But I don't think we'll get that peak again because we... We've been through it, and I think every wave has a peak. And the announcement that Omega wasn't going to be back with New Japan, I think, made that solid. So your wrestler of the year is Tommaso Ciampa. Long may he reign. Runner-up, I'm going to go with Omega. Third place, Okada. Fourth place, Becky Lynch. Thanks for listening to Match of the Year Podcast. I'm Chris Garcia.